a very interesting point in Avodah Hashem, which was, is it possible? Is it possible to be optimistic in our approach to Judaism? Sure, how should we feel? We're in a system where the system is extremely demanding. As we know, good greatness is demanded of each and every single one of us. Greatness, not mediocrity, not being a good God-fearing Jew. No, the proclamation of the Rebbeinu Shalom himself is a nation of princes. Now, princes are not run of the mill. Princes are the elite, the nobility. That means there's a obligation incumbent upon each and every one of us to be a prince. Hits. Not a prince hits, but a prince, comma, hits. That means we all have to, we all have to strive for greatness, Feinberg. We have to seek to achieve our ultimate potential. And therefore, the ultimate enemy of the Jew is mediocrity. Falling into the trap of just going along with emotions. Not doing anything significant. Not contributing in a gigantic and larger-than-life fashion. Each person, of course, according to his own talents and strengths. But everyone has to become individually great. Now, it's obvious, just as an aside, that the area of greatness can only lie in the area of natural talent. You can only become great at something that you're already good at. If you're not good at something, so then greatness is beyond you. You can become okay, you can even become competent. But a person, as we've discussed many times before, who is four foot six will never become a great basketball player. A person that has very bad hand-eye coordination will not do well on a baseball field. And a person that doesn't like being distracted every three seconds cannot become a football player. American football. <laughs> you just wouldn't have the patience. Start going and stop. 20 minute break. And then you start going and stop. So therefore, <laughs> each person, each person has to work in his areas. Of, you have to take your area of excellence where you have a natural talent. And then if you push that to the fur furthest extreme, you can make a unique contribution. If you don't do that, so then you can only be ever, you can ever only be at best good, but probably mediocre. And therefore, the Mahalach in Yiddishkeit, of course, is not to work on your weaknesses, but to refine your talents and to take them to the greatest and most powerful extent. That's humorous to you, young man. <laughs> you find that funny? For what reason? I just, I mean, I'm just surprised that you're telling us not to work on our weaknesses. Well, again, uh, when I was saying there's a general rule, for you, my son, <laughs> should definitely begin there. Because they are so great <laughs> that you cannot begin without... They're already great, then I'm, I'm set. <laughs> Bikitsa, that's what we have to do. Do you like Ashram? Hmm? No, you said you were saying. Oh, so we have to work on becoming great. And in order to become great, there's a tremendous demand placed in our day-to-day -day existence. And the demand is so great that we have to proclaim to ourselves each and every day, When will I become as great as Avram, as Yitzchok, and as Yaakov? And they were so great that our ability to to truly comprehend what they were is, is it's beyond us but nevertheless we have to demand that level of greatness from ourselves and if so it seems that the minute we fall short or if we are 
are already fall, falling short, so what hope do we have? Greatness seems such an unattainable goal, and therefore it would be very logical to despair and to lose hope. And especially when you see the, the demand in greatness in terms of, of, of the mitzvahs themselves. The mitzvahs themselves create such a tremendous expectation of who we have to be. If you go through the Rabbeinu Yonah in the third gate and he describes the different types of mitzvahs that you have to keep, to us they appear to be unrealistic, which means we are so far, we are so falling short of the mark that when we're told about things which are real commandments, we can't relate to them, they're too far away from us. I'll give you an example. The Rebbein says in Shashishi in Oishchav Zayin Yishom there's a there's a prohibition lest you forget Hashem. Now, you could understand that in a variety of different ways. You could understand that if a person comes up to you and says, hello, hello, he says, do you remember that there is a God in the sky and you say one second one second God in the sky one second yes well done then you haven't been over the Esau or it could be that you're over the Esau when you play with your iPhone in the middle of a Musashir because you have to be completely focused because you have to be completely focused on <laughs> the moment and the Rebbein Yonah takes a latter approach and he says the Chayv Adam we have to remember Hashem at all times. At all times. You have to have this consciousness, this awareness, this living with our Kodesh Baruch Hu. Now, how many of us have that? Let's be realistic. That's beyond me. But it says in the Torah, you command it. And then he goes on and you just read through this ch- chapter, this gate, and you, you feel completely and totally hopeless. It's just too much. I can't do it. And that's where despair sinks in. So therefore you'd think that you shouldn't be hopeful. Comes along the Sefer Yikorim and you completely transformed our normative means of response to this overwhelming burden. Is everyone with me? You're following me, Dave. How does he do this? And this is what we really have to think. Because Lechoya, how can we have hope? It's a little bit like, you see Yaakov Avinu, who's pretty big when you're the father of all of the Jewish people in named Israel and you can beat up angels which I think is pretty impressive <laughs> pretty impressive and the Torah says Yaakov says maybe what I've done I don't deserve anything else which means when we appeal to Hashem and we say when we have an expectation of anything in the future, what realistic expectation can we have? If we look at our day, from beginning to end, it's amazing how, how far away we are from the true perfection of self. How far, far, far away we are from what's expected of us. So really we would think, if we looked at ourselves with an honest eye, that we can't really expect anything that everything should only go wrong it can't possibly go right if there's some sense of reward and punishment in this world in this world because it says is there anyone in the room that can openly say that you love Hashem with all your heart and all your soul 
Can you honestly say that? Can you honestly say that you'll give up all your money for the Rebbein Shalom and your life and that you love him with your full heart and that's that love that the, Ram, the Rambam describes like a person who's so lovesick he's lovesick over women that he can't stop thinking about it for even one second and when he goes to eat and when he goes to sleep she's always occupying his mind Can you honestly say that? Well, if it says Vahoyam Shemoya and then says and if you don't all the brachas will come and if you don't so everything bad happens so since we aren't in that matter, so then we should only expect the worst. Are you following me? So therefore, when the Sefer Karim says, that the hope and the, the understanding that things will be good is something essential for a person who's within the fabric of the Torah world, it's, it's an astounding thing to say. The opposite should be true. The normal state of the average person who's failing dismally, tenant, in everything he appears to do, should be despair, should be hopelessness, should be failure, should be feeling down and ridden with sadness. That's how you should be, shouldn't you? If things were measured by achievement, in terms of what I'm achieving, I'm achieving very little of what I could achieve. So therefore there's no room for hope. Comes along the Savior Karim and he says, No, 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 no! No! Hope is crucial! Critical. Required. Necessity it is. And there's nothing more basic than that. You, you need it. You need it. It's It's like water. Like air! It's at Why? And then he goes on to expand upon it. And he says, In order that if he has hope, so then the world turns around for him. The more he trusts that things will work out well, the more things work out well. It's, a, it's a something we need to understand. It seems bizarre. It seems magical. That you realize you're falling short of the mark. You realize that you deserve nothing, but by this hope, this assurance, this confidence that things will work out well, you actually transform things into working out well. Why is it so? And goes along the Sefer Yikorim and he explains. He brings verses and then he says, upon him. There are three motivations, as we said previously, whereby hope comes. From when from whence? From where hope shall come. So again, the initial presentation is that one would think that hope is something which is elusive and not just, just not real, just delusional if you're hopeful. So comes along the car and he, and he completely transforms and he says not only is it not delusional, it's necessary. And not only is it necessary, he takes it one step further and he says, when you're living in that world of hope, the reflection in the outside world occurs and it actually starts to play out your hopes. It's amazing. Why is that? And we'll have to see how he explores it. And he says that there's three motivations whereby this hope could come from. There are three places it could arise from. The one is that you'll hope to Hashem that there's absolutely no reason in the world, no understanding that He should do anything good for you. But there's one thing you know, 
you know that Hashem is a Baal Chesed Gomor. And you know that He's the kindest, most gracious being that we could ever possibly conceive of. And as kind as we can imagine Him to be, He's even kinder. And when you realize that, and you realize He's relating to you, and you realize He's caring for you, and He's loving you more, more than more than you can even imagine loving yourself, more than you can even imagine, imagine the person that loves you the most loves you, the more you realize that, and the more you live in that world, the more that becomes the nature of your relationship, and Hashem reflects it in His Ashkocha over you. The more you relate to Him like that, the more He reciprocates in behaving like that. The more you understand that Hashem, listen, I know that I have absolutely nothing, zero to offer you. I know that there's no reason in the world why you have to do a single thing for me. I know I deserve nothing. And yet I know you'll give me everything, not because of me, but because of you. Not because of me, because of you. This is fundamental. If a person doesn't grasp this, you are living a lie. You're living in a world which is distorted. If you think that you can come to the Rebbeinah Olam and demand because of something you've done, you're completely out of whack with reality. Because if you take a micro, a microscope, a microfine glass, <laughs> and you look at your day and you break it down into the seconds and the minutes, it's actually astounding how much how much rubbish you can actually achieve in a single day. <laughs> it's amazing. Person go into a davening and come out with more various mitzvahs. <laughs> Goes into davening. First thing he does is he kicks out the guy sitting in his seat. <laughs> the whole basis of davening is Boom. There you go. Starts off on the opposite thing. So he kicks out. So, he, so but before he offends a person, which automatically cuts off any fillers. Then he starts davening so fast, that Christ Walker says, what are you actually doing? What do, you, do I want this? You're mumbling these words you don't understand to me? Is this what I want? And then halfway through, you keep on botching up sukim. So you're saying, shem shemayim levatola. So you come out of, you come out of davening with like 30 black marks against your name. But you should have stayed at home and watched TV. Chas v'shalom. <laughs> And then you go there onwards. So, so it's just one all. So, so then you say, like, you can actually get and say, Who am I? Who am I? If I look at myself with a, with a critical eye, with a, with a realistic eye, with a microscopic eye, so then there's nothing there. There's really nothing there. There's nothing there. You have to realize, you have to realize, one of the first things a person has to realize is you have nothing to offer the Abishnah. Zero. Borg. So how does that work against that you can ask for something in merit? It's very difficult. In other words, there's such a thing we saw in the Pasha two weeks ago that Yaakov made a neder. And there's a certain form of vow that it seems you can evoke, you can, you can, there's a certain give and take. If you vow to do something, and you're in dire straits, so then there's a certain reciprocity which is um, created through the making of that vow. But that's a completely different, that's, that, that's in the parish of Nadorim. You have to understand how Nadorim works and what a vow does and how a vow becomes binding. If you make a vow and there's two parties involved in that, it's almost like a promise, so there's a give and take. So it could be that there's certain ways of, of evoking a certain response. That's more like a deal on the side. But it's not the general way that man copes with situations. Generally you don't do that. Generally we don't make that 
today there's no real ca- custom to me. We, we, we avoid vows. I mean, there are people who do it, but I mean, there are the people who have done it in the history, great people, but it's not something that is recommended by. We're not there. Could do it. But w- w- we have to just stick by what, what we say. The Rebbein Shalom, we're not coming to you because of what we have to give you, it's because what you have to give us. And you have everything to give us. And the minute you realize that, your entire relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu transforms. And your entire relationship with yourself. You can be an Anav, you can be humble, you can be appreciative, and then the more you get, the more appreciative you feel. As long as the person's in the mind frame that Hakol Magieli, everything I deserve, so then not only you're distorting yourself, you're distorting your relationship with Hashem, and you actually limit the Hashbar that can come to you. And it's such a difficult frame, frame of mind to escape. Because we're brought up in a generation where everything proclaims subliminally, you deserve this, you deserve this, you deserve this. And the truth is, we deserve absolutely nothing. We deserve absolutely nothing. There's nothing we deserve. No, we have no entitlement to anything. Entitlement means that you, that you can show that I did this, give me that. So if you want, if you, yeah, any, anyone, any of you is welcome to come to me and I'll happily illustrate why you're doing nothing. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying in a horrible way, I'm saying it in a realistic way. You have to understand, you have to understand how you're doing nothing. I think it's beyond what you said, beyond this generation too. You're born, us human beings are created in a way to get everything as a little baby. You get everything. You get your diaper changed. You can't do anything for yourself. So you're also born into a world where you can do nothing for yourself and all you do is receive. Receive, receive, receive. You know what I mean? Yeah, but the process of maturation, what it should be, is that from 0 to 13, you evolve. So that by the time you get to 13, you switch it around completely. And now you have the capacity to understand that you have to give, give, give and not take, take, take. That's what should happen at 13. You're right, but unfortunately we, we live in a generation where, where it's, it's, it's insidious the degree to which we have expectations. The fact that everything's been speeded up feeds this so that there's not even, an, there's not even time to wait. If I have to wait for, for longer than it takes to double click, so then I become extremely impatient. Why, why should I wait? I want it and I want it now. And I want, to, I want to be able to change the channels while sitting on the couch. And if the remote gets lost, the remote gets lost, how can it be? I have to get up and change. Not shaykh. It's not shaykh. You can't get up to change. It's impossible. Whereas back in the day, there wasn't such a problem. Because there wasn't much showing on Russian TV in the 1800s. It was like the stove in the room, like you could watch the flames <laughs> for the first like day that the stove was put in there, and then the glass got black, so then you just watched the black. Flames there. It was like South African TV in the 70s. <laughs> 1976, the big girl when TV was introduced in South Africa. 1976. Not a moment too soon. And uh, for the first 10 years or 20, what was shown on TV was primarily. Ah. The test pattern. <laughs> and after that, they introduced you to a wide variety of extremely um, boring, a whole variety of boring 
outdated shows. But again, that was that was a date. But back in Russia, if you wanted to make yourself a cup of tea, so then you had to go get the wood from outside, chop it into small pieces, make the fire. <laughs> How do you make the fire? You had to like rub your flint stones together. <laughs> <laughs> get it to light and then you had to go down to the well and fetch the water and then you had to put it on and then you had to go take the tea leaves I mean it was a gun Isaac and now you say I can't believe it I have to wait for the kettle to boil <laughs> why can't we get one of those water machines <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a problem the kids are, so we have to realize that, that, that as the Chavis Alvava says that the, the, the world's advancement is the destruction of man that the more the world becomes advanced, the less, the, the less is left of man. And the truth <coughs> is, if you take a person and you strip him of his iPhone, of his watch, of, his, of all his accessories, so he says, one second, where am I? Often if a person loses his, 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 his phone and everything around it, he, he feels like he just lost his life. So what's happening is, there's less and less of me left and more and more of all everything else. So it's ridiculous. We, we're living in, this, in, this, in, this, in the smallness of being which we have to, we have to get out of. We have to find a way to escape. We have to rescue ourselves from the quagmire where in which we dwell. Quagmire. Miry quag. There it is. So therefore we have to, and it could be that this is a way out. And this could even open up our eyes to what Tim Tumalev is all about and what rescuing ourselves from Tim Tumalev is all about. The first step, though, is a realization of how far, 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 far away we are. And then we can go on. And the further away we appreciate we are, the more we understand the Chesed of Hashem. And the more we understand the Chesed of Hashem, the more we live in that world, the closer relationship, the more we are in reality, the more the love, the more... And then things may start actually turn around. Could be. Because the love will then generate an entirely different mode of behavior. So really this is the preparatory stage. He goes on the, the Ikorim and he says that the first motivation for the hope is what we just discussed now. That you realize that, that Akash Bochu, without any reason or rhyme will do his best for us. The second is Vashen Yisutikvas covered is a Hashem will keep his promise to us because in the past he's done good to us and he'll continue in order not to avoid in order to avoid sorry Hashem. and the third is if Hashem made a promise in certain circumstances that he'll live up to his promise but says the Ikarim the hope that Hashem will do Chesed is the greatest of all three but people find this level hard to attain because they think that they're not on the level to demand these things because they think it's dependent on who they are and they don't realize that it's not and because they feel that it's dependent on this chusim and they have no right they don't have the right level of tikva and Mimela, they don't get the type of chesed that they could if they hoped in the right way. Does that mean a Russia can also hope in the same way? And Hashem will take care of him the same way he will a tzaddik? Or an average person? So you're saying it doesn't matter who you are, rely on Hashem's chesed, and you will get it. If you really rely and know that it doesn't matter who you are. Is that what you're saying, if I'm understanding correct? We have to flesh it out further, but at this stage it would seem so. It would seem so. 
we have to see if that's if that's true and if that's possible. That's precisely why, because Yaakov, uh, this is a whole different discussion, but it could be that Tzadikim trying to function in Midas Adin. At the end of the day, this level of relationship with Akash Bochu is in a sense a Bidi Evid relationship. It's a much higher level if you deserve what you get. So Tzadikim trying to live on the level of Midas Adin. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying, what I'm saying is we also like have that feeling inside us as well. We have to strive towards that. Let's, let's explore that, but that's a good question. Right now, let's pause.